anyone who's listened to previous podcasts here, welcome back, by the way, nice to see you again, will be familiar with the recurring theme of the advice guidance boundary dispute and how much of a problem it is. So it is with great pleasure I bring you two businesses delivering effective, personalized, mass market guidance solutions. I hope you enjoy the show. other yes from quite a number of years yeah i think i think we first met in uh, the hiscox offices in york philip if i'm right That's when right. it was a, it was the early early days of money alive and we met next to a rocket if you remember yes there's a huge huge rocket in the hiscox offices in york and uh, hang yeah on, hang on you yeah. can't leave that what paint a picture for me what kind of rocket are we talking about here it was a russian one a space rocket right. um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> is there any yeah. as to yeah. why hiscox have got a russian space rocket in their offices <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd perhaps ask something you want to ask them at a future podcast, but it's a very inspirational piece of, uh, of 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 art. I think you'd probably describe it as, as well as lots of nice paintings. But uh, yeah, we'd we'd won a competition. We were initially based at the University of York, and then um, Hiscox ran a kind of Dragon's Den type competition. And if you won it, you got free office accommodation, which was extraordinarily generous on their part and uh, we won it and so yeah we started working out of the Hiscox office in York for for zero rent uh, next to a rocket it was probably late 2017 no 2018 sometime around then no we we launched commercially in 2018 but we'd done work on the proposition for a, a good year 18 months beforehand so tom i was yeah. i was actually doing consulting work for the rail scheme and money life were i brought money alive in because to, to help help with them Oh, okay. That's the sort of background and context. And we stayed in touch. Right. Yeah, and we see each other quite regularly on Pension Playpen, don't we, Philip? Oh, yeah. We do, we do. And, and we we also meet privately uh, when you're not on the call, Tom, and talk about things as well, which I'll leave your <laughs> listeners to speculate about what those sorts of things might be. So, look, uh, okay, this, I think, and I'm struggling to keep count, I think this is episode 34 of the Lanquettes podcast, and I wanted to focus on... Guidance, I guess, is if you could sum it up in a word, it's guidance. And, and Ian, since you were you were telling a story, then do you want to just kick off? I mean, I want to hear from both of you just a, kind of a bit about your businesses. But Ian, do you want to kick off with Money Alive? And you talked a bit about getting started back in 2018. So, what do you do? Who do you do it for? How are you making money? What's the story? Yeah, well, if we just go back to the beginning, it was pension freedoms when a financial advisor in York, who's my colleague Andy Kirby, was explaining to someone what an annuity was. He he claims it was for about the 500th time. And he was kind of aware that it was taking a lot of time and also that he wasn't necessarily delivering things consistently. And perhaps he was uh, there was a kind of advisor bias in how he was describing things. So it, it was him who had the original idea which was to provide sort of better quality information to help people make uh, better decisions and, and enjoy better outcomes. And uh, he knew a mutual friend of mine, John Glover, myself, John and Mark, who are four Yorkshiremen. We met in a pub shortly afterwards and we got talking about the industry. Well, first of all, we had an argument about who was going to pay the bill with us being four Yorkshiremen. Um, but we kind of came to the conclusion that there was a kind of trust problem in the industry and an engagement problem. 
And so we came up with the idea of trying to create information that people would engage with and that they would trust by sort of breaking down financial topics into um, small chunks, bite-sized chunks. And so we developed box sets on different topics, so video box sets, and then also an interactive video engagement platform. We're a business-to-business-to-consumer business, so we, we, we don't have any direct customers. Organizations, businesses, pension schemes, advisors, product providers, and EBCs license our platform and our box sets to educate their customers or so their clients. So you're basically a fluffer for the industry, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that we're regularly described as a fluffer for the industry. I, I, I think what I... I think it's important is that there's lots and lots of great information and services out there, but often we we fail at the very beginning to kind of motivate and get people excited about them. And through through video and a really, really good user experience, you can get information over, you know, in an engaging way, get people kind of intrigued or in, enthusiastic or maybe realizing certain things about subjects that you know, perhaps they're more complicated and that, you know, maybe they could benefit from advice or, in fact, they're not so complicated and they're, they're capable of making their own decisions. As I mentioned to you before, I'd, I'd listened to the podcast that you'd done recently with Mark Ormston, and he talked a lot about annuities and he gave an example of joint life annuities where, sorry, well, actually where someone had taken out a single life annuity and had died and then the partner was wondering where the income had gone and it's those kind of things that I think you can get over to people really really well through you know video interactive video and you know it takes a lot of time for people resource to do that kind of thing and clearly you know technology can can and does help with those basic bits of education but basic bits of education that can have profound implications for for people's lives really so that's what we were about creating engaging content and making it easy for our customers to get that information over to their clients scheme members or or customers okay brilliant thanks and philip you're sitting there quietly patiently listening to that so can can you do the same just give us a quick yeah same on guide so so we're we're guide with two eyes and that's the show the intense focus here having two eyes and as name suggests, it is enhanced guidance and it's for retirement. But at the core to our business is using numbers. So there are plenty of pension planning tools out there. But all of them, what they do is that uh, they project somebody's pension and maybe get them into a discussion about how much their pension will last. We don't do that. We come at it from a holistic point of view because to put towards one's retirement, you've got state pension, you've got DC pension, you've got DB pensions, you've got non-pension savings like ISAs, you've got liquidated assets, you've got inheritance, you've got part-time work, you've got rental income. All of those things are things that actually can make up one's retirement. And what we do is that we, we launched a consumer site that actually helps people understand what income they need in retirement. It pulls together all of the resources of income they have, and then it solves it for them. It doesn't provide them with loads of options. It just solves the problem for them. You know, as, as evidence to the success of that, we, we get 10,000 people a month to come to the site. We have a, an engagement rate of 40%. So that's, you know, for every 10 people, four people will actually finish the using the planning tool and they do it within 10 to 15 minutes 
which is why we get such great rave reviews on the um, on Trustpilot. And then the, the background to it is uh, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing a lot of consulting work, post-pension freedoms, which is where I came across Ian and Money Alive in the first place. And my business partner, Kevin Hollister, who's a scheme actuary by trade, he has worked for Aon Hyman's Grant Thornton, more recently led Grant Thornton's buyout business. Kevin was seeing the problem of the number of people who were going to go into drawdown without taking advice. And basically, in January 2020, when we're all in lockdown, Kevin and I just got together. He's in Glasgow. I'm in London. I just saw what he was doing solves the problem of engagement from what I'd seen at providers. And I said, let's work together. I think you've got a great offering. So that's the the, the basis of, of our business. But it's not just the consumer side. We, we do that really to prove the platform. And similar to Ian, we then sell the platform to, to corporates, providers, financial advisors, and such like. Okay, thanks, sir, Philip. But in both cases, neither of your businesses are actually delivering regulated advice. In both cases, <laughs> you're, you're giving information, you're giving guidance, you're giving, I mean, in your That's case, it. it's, it's kind of almost, you, can I describe it as a cash flow planning tool? Is that fair? It is. It, it essentially, it's a cash flow planning tool. And you're right, both Money Alive in, in ourselves, we stay very firmly on the left-hand side of the, uh, the the line in terms of sticking to to guidance and not advice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we're we're not regulated either. We have very good relationships with the FCA and good relationships with the we pensions all regulator. Have good relationships with the FCA always. Yeah, in fact, they've got an open day on the thirteenth of July, which uh, I'm really looking forward to going to about innovation. So we'll may- maybe see some of you there. So I just want to kind of just dwell on one question that's in my mind is around driving traffic because philip i think you actually go out and look for consumers you advertise on google is that right to to get consumers onto your site is that right yeah 60 percent of our traffic is a good old google pay-per-click 40 percent of it comes from affiliates or just people finding us but yeah we bring people to to our site and we know we're actually kind of like shooting at a large target because We've done the research and extrapolated. We know there are over 100,000 people a month searching for the sort of help that we give. Okay. And Ian, just to round this off, all your traffic comes from your business partners. So they, your business partners buy your services, install it on, on their platform or their website or whatever, and, and it's their customers that use your services. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's right. Our customers are... As I say, you know, providers, EBCs, financial advisors, pension schemes, and they use a number of different ways of onboarding their what we call viewers onto either our box sets or latterly our video canvases. And yeah, we don't have a direct offering. Okay. So Tom, just quickly chip in because one of the yeah, questions cool. you you asked was how we make our money. Yeah. On our consumer site, the planning tool is free to use. But what we do on a consumer site, we actually introduce people to regulated partners, financial advisors, pension companies, and pension providers, uh, and news bureaus. So Retirement Line and Mark Ormson are, are one of our partners. And when somebody goes through and transacts with one of our partners, we receive a referral fee. So it's only on success. It's not on lead generation. Right. But what this points to for both your businesses, if I may, is that uh, one, 
there's there's plenty of demand for good guidance, whether it's information from Ian's box sets or sort of financial planning tools from from Philip's guide. You know, you, pe- people want help. I mean, we kind of knew that already. And, you know, that I've done Def- previous definitely here. We're just discussing yeah. with others, you know, the ABI and others about the help that people need, particularly on the run into retirement. But then also that's only half the story because because both of your businesses are working with regulated partners who then deliver the fulfillment so it's 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 kind of a means to an end it's it's half the story but it's not the whole story right yeah yeah although uh, interestingly tom one of the sort of really valuable things about educational tools or or the tools that Philip's been describing is people can educate themselves out of a process as well. So actually, it can be quite time saving because not everybody does need regulated financial advice. And that can be quite frustrating for financial advisors because they can do a lot of work. You know, they could spend two hours explaining to somebody and then someone can conclude, well, actually, that's not for me. Whereas if you get a box set to do it or, or use some kind of tools, as Philip's been describing, you know, that's a good way that people can kind of triage themselves out. Yeah. And that's just yes. a win-win all around, particularly as financial advice is in such scarce demand. So I think that's a really, really effective use of it. It's not a failure, I don't think. It's actually an advantage that people can make an informed opt-out. So just actually to, to back that up, we do have a specialist guidance solution in DB for DB transfers, which is obviously where advice is mandatory. And the online guidance journey we provide to schemes, it's not publicly available, it is there to help the individual answer the question, is advice right for me? It's not answering the question, is a transfer right for me? Because that would be drifting into advice. It's answering the question, is advice right for me? As Ian saying, that's a triage process. So both of your businesses have emerged in the last three or four years. I mean, a couple of years in your case, Ian, a little bit longer for you, Ian. So the catalyst was pension freedoms and the huge disruption that caused. And, you know, George Osborne came along and poked the anthill with a stick and we all went running around trying to work out which way was up and everything changed. And then it's taken a few years for us to start to work out what the problem question is and what people need and for things to settle down a bit. And you guys have emerged and you're both delivering support and information and guidance and help and triage for customers to get them some of the way through the decision-making process. And that might then lead on to commercial transactions, or it might not. But either way, people come out of dealing with you guys in a better place than they went in, hopefully. <laughs> so I guess you know the key question for me is I've heard so much from so many industry participants in recent years. And you know I've, I've expressed the sentiment myself that there is a problem with the advice guidance boundary. So I'd be really interested to hear from both of you on what you think about that. You know, actually, are you guys proving that there isn't a problem with the advice guidance boundary or do, or do things still need to move? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I have followed this debate and I've enjoyed people like Nick Takuti um, and Paul Lewis discussing this and what guidance is and, and, and uh, what advice is. And actually, one of my uh, side hustles is, is I do some work for the Oxford English Dictionary, helping them define financial words. And so I have access to the dictionary. And, and it's interesting that advice uh, itself has, has been going a lot longer as a word than guidance has. But in terms of how that plays out now, 
I think regulated financial advice is fairly clear. It's about a situation where you go to a professional, they thoroughly understand your circumstances, and they give you advice based on their knowledge, expertise, and qualifications. And they are then accountable for that advice. And generally, they have a, an ongoing relationship with you because you know advice is generally something that you need to keep accessing. And I myself, I use a financial advisor, and I see a value in it. Whereas guidance, I think something different where it is about information, but it's also about tools, as Philip has described, where you can maybe input data, your own circumstances, and have that reflected back at you in a way that actually you can then find useful and then make decisions based on that. So I'm not petitioning for a change particularly. I think it's quite clear what the difference is, and I continue to enjoy the debates about the word advice and whether people can use it out with the context of regulated financial advice. Over to you, Philip. One of the big issues that we've got that makes a lot of people afraid of guidance is that it's not regulated because by definition, it's not a a regulated activity. Mm. Advice is regulated. So we do have a problem in the industry that if people want to offer guidance, they do it by the definition of it's not advice. And that always brings a, a reverse and negative connotation to it. Like Ian, we as a, as an unregulated party, we have to stay within the bounds of guidance. But I think, again, similar between us and money and life, I think we've demonstrated that it doesn't have to be just down to like you know a, a few sort of like pointers about pension products. You can actually give people a very very good understanding about their circumstances and about what options they've got in front of them without drifting into advice. So there seems to be a lot of the industry is afraid of guidance, but I think the rules are there that if you actually do read it, you can actually help consumers a long way, possibly even without needing advice. They can help them a long way to actually get to the best outcome that they're looking for. And that involves, I mean, one thing that the industry has always kind of balked at is this question of personalization. But what you both do and does involve an element of personalization for the individual customer, right? Yeah, the yeah. The customer feels so, like you are talking to them and their circumstances, yeah? That's that's a whole point, is that, uh, and I'm going to get a bit of on the pedestal here, Tom, is that the, too much of the industry is spent trying to just explain products to people rather than explaining and helping them with their life. So well, if I, I the only tool that, you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Well, yeah, and sorry, let me let me stretch an alternative analogy, Tom, is that it tends to be is that the industry tries to explain, if we were car manufacturers, the industry tries to explain the inner workings of a combustion engine rather than talking about driving. That's mm. that's the issue I see in front of us. But it is you can actually talk to people about driving without sort of you know, crossing crossing some sort of line that uh mm. you know I, I, it's overstretching the analogy but uh, without crossing the some sort sort of line it is possible to do that i just uh, like to quote from a member nominated trustee who recently watched one of our box sets and uh, it helped one of our customers win a very large piece of business uh, she said i found both the information and the method of delivery very good and have certainly learned more about the options and implications of actions than I previously knew after completing all the modules. So I think you can, that proves that you can get people to a better place by using digital tools like ourselves and Guide. 
And in terms of personalization, we provide generic information on a range of topics, but we do allow our viewers to personalize their video journeys. So, for example, you can drill down at certain points, for example, on pension freedoms, if you want to find out more about annuities, you can drill down. If you want to watch a case study about it, you can do that. If you want to find out more about drawdown, you can do that. And our platform reports the viewer's interactivity to our customer. So Mm -hmm. the advisor or the scheme gets a report and it will say, this person watched this and then they watched this and then they watched that. And the reason we did that, because it was a technical challenge to do that, was to try and make it more engaging because we want to serve people information. We respect people's time is very, very scarce. And we want to serve them the most relevant information to themselves and what's important to them. Saying that, (laughs) it's really important. I think that people, you know, people don't know what they don't know. So at some point, they need to get presented at least a good flavor of, you know, all the options around a particular topic. And, you know, we're delighted to see the consumer duty and its emphasis on this idea that people need to be presented with their all, all their options. And I know we're going to talk about equity release at some point, but one of the challenges of the equity release market, for example, is that people don't necessarily know all their options or, you know, that, you know, by taking equity release, they might lose means tested benefits or there might be grants that they're entitled to or all kinds of things. And I think that comprehensive education actually is often essential if you're going to make the right decision for yourself. I'm glad you mentioned the consumer duty because as you guys have been talking i've had it at the back of my mind but do you remember that song um lily the pink about the the medicinal compound and how it was yeah, just... yeah most efficacious most efficacious in every way there you go right and this the, the consumer duty i mean every time i hear consumer duty now i think of lily the pink because it seems to be this kind of <laughs> universal panacea that is just going to cure all ills but I think you make a really good point that actually what you guys are describing here is actually a really good tool for whether it's manufacturers or distributors to yeah. to satisfy those requirements within the consumer duty about evidencing consumer understanding. You know, yeah. so it's, you, you can't just send people stuff. You've got to you've got to be able to show that they've understood it and that it's reaching the right target audience. Yes. So I think the yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, one thing we found with our latest product video canvas is the inclusion of recap exercises within interactive video experiences is actually something that people really really enjoy and uh, you know that's something to think about people should actually enjoy doing this sort of stuff because if they did or if they do they're more likely to engage with it and you know a recap exercise is a good way of testing understanding and i think that's another strength of the consumer duty that it's about finding communications that help people make properly informed decisions and it's essential that something needs to be understandable to do that yeah sorry philip did you want to I did, yeah that? i just wanted to back up ian's point about making things interactive with the consumer so you you can do things which are responsive to their actions and interactions and actually then present the right things in front of them. Again, Ian's mentioned <laughs> equity release. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about this in, the, in a short while, but we have exactly the approach on for equity release on, on guide where it is part of your retirement planning. It's not a question of like, how much is your property worth? Do you realize you could get all this money from it? But it actually becomes part of your retirement planning. So if somebody on guide is falling short in terms of their income, then guide will actually suggest to somebody or ask them the question, do you have a property? Do you have an asset? And engaging in that process, an individual can actually understand how something like equity release 
can fit into their overall planning. Which is fantastic because one of the things that struck me when I was looking at that sector and doing this this report that I recently wrote about it was that it feels like in a lot of situations that lever that could be pulled and it may or may not be appropriate in different circumstances, not right for everybody, depends on their age and all the rest of it. But the fact that the lever exists quite often just gets completely glossed over. And either the customer isn't aware of it or the individual isn't aware of it, or even when they're talking to financial advisors, not all financial advisors would automatically build that in as part of their advisory processes. And the FCA yeah. you know, seems to be very relaxed about that, which I find quite bewildering that this huge this lever that could get pulled that help could help solve people's problems is frequently just being overlooked. I mean, they have had concerns about the marketing of equity release. And, you know, the Financial Services Consumer Panel have recently brought out a report about that. And obviously that's, that's gone to the FCA. So it may be, I think, that there's fear that some people have ended up in equity release without thoroughly understanding there are alternatives. Yeah, and, I think that's, know, that's a really, one. really legitimate Big. point. Uh, you know, bad mm. things have happened. Yeah, bad things have happened. Bad things are probably still happening, you know, possibly too. So as I say, it's good that the Financial Services Consumer Panel have done the work that they've done. Agreed. Great. And you, Ian, you've just recently launched a product into that space. That's right. Yeah, it's it's similar to, really, it's like the same idea as our DB box set, really. It's a kind of comprehensive piece of education that's engaging. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a shorter topic than DB transfers, but it lasts, it lasts about half an hour. It's in eight short videos. And one of the things we do, or, or we talk to the businesses who use it, is this is, it's really good to try and encourage people to share this with members of their family or loved ones or people that they trust. Because quite often people turn to equity release in positions of vulnerability. And that's something we specifically talk about in this box set. And I think you cited this example that sometimes complaints arise with equity release when the family finds out after the event. And so, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is encourage people to share with family and loved ones so everybody understands. We do that with wills. We do that with lasting power of attorney as well where there's kind of intergenerational issues. And again, having engaging the education that's easy to share is, is one of the things that makes this kind of getting more people involved really, really simple because you can just get more people to watch the box set, get their understanding of the product. And then, you know, if it's the person themselves, make a better informed decision about whether they want advice or if it's a loved one, someone to talk to and say, understand the implications of something like equity release in the longer term. I think that's a really important thing as well that about education is not not just about the now, but what are the longer term implications of taking this course of action? And that applies to equity release. It definitely applies to drawdown, as we all know. So raising those kind of questions, what happens after you've bought this product as much as, you know, just the decision to buy it itself. And you just talked about education there. I did some work around the money and pension service last year, and I have an interest in how that delivers its services. What you guys are talking about here, whether it's Philips kind of cash flow planning and resource planning tools, or the kind of information resources and the videos that you've developed in at Money Alive, you know, you both sound as if you're doing the kind of stuff that maps could, can, should be looking at. Do, do either of you want to comment on that? <laughs> I think, well, Tom, you did the report. It's a question of like, you know, where does the line stop on maps? Maps has got a, a real major challenge on its hand because it, it has to be, has to be universal. Yes. It's got to deal with everyone. 
But it's a question just like, well, okay, what, what's the delivery point? Because I, I think both Ian and I did sort of like, you know, had a little bit of a grin there because, yes, maps could be actually <laughs> adopt, adopting our, our technology and we'd be very happy if they, they were to, to do that. But at the moment, is that the way that, put it in very, very simple terms, my expectation of maps is that when it comes to retirement – that they should deliver somebody who understands the difference between income and savings and the difference between DB and DC. If it achieves that, my view, I think it will have done its job. Uh, and then I think the rest of the market can actually pick it up from there. Yeah, very, very good points, Philip. My thinking, and I reflected in this my thoughts in, in something that I call Project 60, which I, I submitted to the Work and Pensions Committee during their inquiry about guidance. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see people like Nigel Mills, Ros Altman and Stephen Timms quoting 60%. But I think that MAPS should try and be more ambitious about reaching more people with their pension-wise service, like vastly more people. And I, I do believe a platform like ours running a pension-wise box set could make an enormous difference based on the kind of statistics that we've seen. And there are a number of reasons for that. One is that people do enjoy consuming this kind of education at their own time, at their own convenience, in their own home, on on their favourite device. So we we know that that works. And with the current pension-wise situation, there has to be this sort of, A, you have to wait, and there has to be this sort of coincidence of availability to get an appointment. And secondly, I think some people find being in a one-to-one interaction slightly intimidating and, and maybe like to do things more just on their own. And so the great thing about digital is it's kind of infinitely scalable, whereas one-to-one was always going to be a resource issue. So I think very much in a supportive and absolutely not in a replacement, but I, I think you know, I would encourage MAPS to, to look at you know, what technology is out there and how they could adopt it to, to effectively reach far just more people. To, just to complete yeah. this, what did you mean by Project 60? Just explain that for us. My idea was about using technology so that pension-wise could reach 60% of people at retirement rather than the kind of numbers they're hitting at the moment, which is less than a quarter of that. And I think that's largely because, you know, it's very human resource intensive and you have to wait for it. Whereas with a box set that you can sign on, the barriers to doing that are very low. So if you shape the communication, the kind of point at which, say, a provider would ordinarily introduce someone to the idea of pension-wise, if you made it very simple at that point to do something that's attractive, easy to do, then I think you would, you know, you would get substantially more people having the benefits of good quality information and understanding some of the fundamental differences between cashing a pension in, leaving it doing drawdown, buying an annuity or taking a lump sum. I think that can that could be done very, very effectively through the kind of approach we've developed. And we've had people who viewed our box sets complete a survey and we've had over 13,000 responses to that survey now. And 98% of people value access to it and over 94% say it's helped them make a better informed financial decision. So I think we've got a lot of evidence to say that this this works and people can engage with it. I, I would really like the opportunity to to work with them actually and see if we could get anywhere near 60%. Wow. And I do think, you know, that a sense of urgency, you know, would be helpful as well because all the time that you're developing brilliant things, then, you know, you're not reaching people now or you're not reaching people 
what could have been six months ago. I mean, personally, I think we've been talking to Maps for over three years now, and uh, you know they've been aware of what we've been doing. And that's hundreds of thousands of people that have washed through the system in that time. And you know, I was I was really struck when I was looking at Maps that you know things like pension wise are very labour intensive. They are not cheap to deliver. Forgive me using the phrase, but if you can find some quick and dirty solutions that provide good answers for lots of people, to me that sounds like a pretty good win. So uh, agreed, <laughs> Philip. Uh, I well, no, I'd agree, but except that the maps does have the challenge that it has to be universal. Let me give you another example about sort of like this question about like moving with some urgency. We've had discussions with the pension dashboard project which I think is now due to deliver, what, 2024? Mm. Is a, well, we've, we've, not, we've not waited for that. So in Guide, we already have a pension dashboard. We work with the pension lab for a pension tracing service, and we bring in real-time values, and, and that's already deployed with the master trust. So we deliver the pension dashboard today. I mean, the project might well make it easier in order to actually get hold of the information. But I don't think we have to wait for things like that. I think there are things that we can actually do today. Just just as going back to the issue of guidance, we don't have to wait for regulatory change in order to, to you know come up with some definition of guidance that everybody can you know feel comfortable with. I think the things you can do today within the rules. Yeah, I saw a brilliant presentation last week by Gavin Strange from Ardman Animations, and he he uh, he had some. Uh, that's Bristol, actually, isn't it, Tom? Not not far from you, Ardman. Yeah, they, uh, they always used to be yeah. based in Bristol. I don't know if they still are, but yeah. Yeah, you no, know, they are. Well, if you can get to see him, but one of his slides said, "Don't make it perfect, make it happen," and I kind of yes. thought, yeah, that's yes. <laughs> that's such a beautiful uh, capture, really. And you know, people like Henry Tapper, I know I've heard him say several times, you know, don't, don't sacrifice the good on the altar of the perfect effect and yeah. they're kind of really saying the same thing aren't they that you know there are some fantastic things you can make a difference with now and yes there may be digital solutions that will be deployed in two or three years time but what about the people for the next two or three years you know, we are um, talking I, about you hundreds know. of thousands of people a year this is this is no small consideration here so this, this comes back to this point about um, universality is that we are commercial organizations that will focus on where and how we can best help the market if you've got an organisation like like Maps, you know by definition it has to be universal. So it's actually got to address a much much wider population, and therefore it has to actually reduce the the scope of its endeavours. That's my view about here. But you can get the two to join up. Yeah, I think, and you can apply mm. different resources in different contexts to achieve different outcomes. So, you know, it doesn't have to be mm. one size fits all solution. Tom, I'll give, I'll give you another example. Is that we built Guide the Consumer site, and and there we, there is traffic that kind of like self selects its way to to us. Okay, we would certainly like to be able to address a much much wider population. So, you know, in the self selecting population that come to Guide, granted they have in excess of two hundred fifty thousand of pension assets, uh, and at a later age. It's more like three, four hundred thousand. So, you know, these are not sort of people with small, small pots. But you know, we're very pleased to be doing work with Greg's. We'd like to be doing work with the Citizens Advice Bureau, finding ways that we can actually approach it differently so we can address a wider audience. So it was like, you know, let's get our model to work with a certain sector, keep to the principles, 
and then widen it out. Mm. So a slight different approach. Interesting. Okay, look, there's one other area I did want to just touch on with you guys, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on DB transfers. So, uh, you know, all the debacle with British Steel and contingent advice and the demand that's existed over the last few years, I think in a lot of cases fanned by organizations that saw a huge commercial opportunity to suck money out of the DB sector and reverse it into their DC books. And, you know, a lot of advisors have made pretty good money out of that as well. So I'm not sure all of that activity has been wholly in the best interest of consumers as we've gone along. Just be interested in thoughts from either of you on where you think we're at with the whole DB transfer sector now. There, there have been some positive moves by the regulator, but it has been largely about trying to bolt the door to constrain things. And maybe it's for good, but you know we've seen the number of transfer specialists halve in the market. So for, a, for an individual to go and find the right qualified advice is actually getting harder for them. Yeah. And for some of those people, a transfer might be the right thing for them, but they can't get it. And actually, that makes them even more vulnerable to to scammers and, and bad advice, because if they are driven to, to do it, they'll be picked up by, by scammers. So there have been some positives, but it's by no means solved. And I've spoken to large organizations whose staff, whose employees are still sort of like curated or, or cultivated at the factory gate and invited by people to go to uh, egg and chip lunches and get told how much their DB pension's worth. So it's still mm. not so- sorted. And, and I think the fundamental issue is the access to advice because it is mandated. And you still have by far the majority of schemes do not have an appointed IFA. Something like 70 or 80% of the schemes do not appoint an IFA. And I know and in a lot they, of cases they felt nervous about the responsibility attached to that, that they've just kind of stepped back and said, oh, well, we won't do that because then we won't get into trouble for it. Absolutely. And that, that's where we've came up with GuideDB to try and solve that problem, that you know, to put an online guidance journey that is guidance, to put in place an IFA panel that's overseen by our own governance committee, to put that in place for a scheme, then the scheme only has to signpost it. The trustees don't take on any additional burden. But to be honest with you, the I mean, we have we have got t- just over 20 schemes signed up to that, and we launched it at the beginning of the year. Quite honestly, I find it very slow coming, the number of trustees who are actually taking the step. I mean, we've seen the report from LCP say, great, the num- a number of key IFAs are actually increasing their their books, you know, the number of clients, but still a very, very large sector of the scheme population are being underserviced. Oh, very interesting comments, Philip. I mean, our experience, and quite a lot, I believe, Philip, of the advisors who are on your panels actually use Money Alive as part Correct. of their advice transfer process. They do. So they, do. They, they, they use Money Alive. So it's come full circle, this this podcast now, Tom. We, we've noticed that there's been some very large companies doing higher volumes uh, of work with us. So we, we can see from our MI about the, the number of DB journeys that people are, are watching. So I think there's definitely been a move to maybe larger advisors, and that includes some large product providers who use us now who've got advice uh, within their offering. So I, I think it's, it's, it's more professional. 
a lot of the changes have been good. Clearly, British Steel is a disaster. And I remember for the consumers, for the steel workers, and I remember going to Port Talbot with Al Rush, and he gave our box set to some steel workers, and they kind of said, why didn't we have this? And obviously, we kind of now, in hindsight, wish we'd got together a few years earlier and actually yeah. you know, got money alive going earlier, but you know, we didn't. We have made several attempts to get the FCA to, you know, made it a free offer, frankly, to the FCA to say, if you want to use this with the steel workers to try and make them aware of the difference between DC and DB, but um, none of that has ever come to any fruition, regrettably. But yeah, as as I say, I think there's there's large advisors who are, are still doing DB transfers. It still is very important for some people to have that option. So the availability of advice is is absolutely crucial. We're currently working on a very interesting initiative around PII, which again is one of the, the great barriers to the supply of DB advice. And though Andy Kirby, my colleague and, and as I say, the financial advisor whose idea Money Alive was, he's working on that. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be making some announcement around that fairly soon, I believe. But the idea of that is to try and make PII easier to get for advisors who want to offer a service in this space. But there's been some fantastic initiatives. I mean, I can think of the PFS Gold Standard, where you know they they were very very aware of the the shortage of supply of PII, and they they did their initiative to try and help to have a, you know this gold standard. But this PII initiative we're working on at the moment might have something you know really useful for advisors who want to work in this space. That's fantastic news. Guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. This has been a hugely encouraging and optimistic kind of session. I'm really grateful to you both because I've heard so much negativity around the advice guidance boundary. It's really good to hear that actually there are some answers out there too. So um, We're glass half full people, Ian, myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we keep at it, don't we, Philip? Thank you both very much. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.